Nau mai, haere mai, ki tēnei hōtaka. Welcome to the panel, RNZ National, Wallace Chapman here. Uh, due to a crash, State Highway 2 is currently down to one lane near the intersection with McHenry's Road, Canterbury. So stop-go traffic management with a temporary speed restriction is currently in place. So that is State Highway 2, Kuro, Canterbury. There's been a crash there. On today, it was one of the most divisive issues in the country in recent times. Few other issues came close. National will end what it calls an effective ban on genetic modification. They say we'll be left behind and genetic tech uh, will help in agri-tech, medical technology and climate change. So I want to do a panel snap poll this afternoon. Do you support genetic engineering slash modification in New Zealand? Yes, no, unsure. Why or why not? Text me, 2101. Yes, no, unsure. We discuss that at 4.30. Stay tuned. RNZ orders an external review over pro-Russian story edits. We talk about that. And the Green Party's tax announcement, that's got people talking, a wealth tax, also a minimum guaranteed income, which means that no one gets less than $385 a week in their pocket after tax. How's it funded? And the BBC's Matilda Whelan profiled the rise of the no-wash movement. Do you need to wash your clothes so often? And what about your hair? Once every six weeks? Is this enlightened or is it totally feral? With me this afternoon uh, is Leonie Freeman, the Chief Executive of the Property Council of New Zealand. Kia ora, Leonie. Kia ora, Wallace. Great to be here. And David Slack, writer at More Than the Fielding on Substack. How are you? Kia ora. Nice to be here. All right. Wonderful to have you both, David Slack and Leonie Freeman. Now, there's a concern that some beaches could go unpatrolled next summer. The issue comes down to cash. There are eight surf life-saving clubs in Auckland, Northland and Waikato who collectively need $16 million for repairs, rebuilds, relocations. That includes Mangafai Heads and Bethel's Beach. There were 347 people in life-or-death incidents on northern regional beaches last patrol season. With us is surf life-saving northern regional chief executive, Matt Williams, Matt, hello. Kira Wallace. You say that this is the biggest challenge surf lifesaving has faced in nearly a hundred years, Matt. In over a hundred years on our beaches, yes. And, and we've been through world wars. So explain to us why this is so big. I, I think it's a combination of two challenges. A, it really shows our business as usual address, uh, issues aren't being understood or addressed. And at the same time, we've been trying to address those business-as-usual challenges for fixing our infrastructure. We've really shown the need to have that support when uh, eight of our uh, coastal assets, our life-saving facilities, have been severely impacted by this uh, recent weather events. And this means now that, you know, in future summers, we could look at the very real reality of not having surf lifesavers in places they have been previously at times when people will still be swimming at those locations in large numbers. That would be pretty unthinkable, Matt, that some of our more popular beaches, also quite dangerous, could lack patrols uh, even as close as the summer, Leone. So, Matt, if, if, there's, if you can't offer patrols, does that mean the beach gets closed down? Is that the alternative that we're facing? That's a really good question. Who would close the beach? Mm. 
yeah. a question that, that, that we need to address. You know, where does surf lifesaving fit in this? Everyone expects me to go out with a sign and put up a stop sign. Well, who's actually responsible for the beach? It's the local landowner, which could be council, which could be dock, which could be a, a, an EU landlord, you know, a landholding group. So it becomes quite a complicated issue. And what mm. I point that is that surf lifesaving has been in the Commons for far too long. And a group that is so heavily relied on shouldn't have to rely on catastrophe to lead change. And we've been really strategic as an organisation the last 10 years. And I think it's time that uh, the policy, the governance structures, local government and central government get on board and start engaging with us so we can continue to be ahead of the curve and not stuck responding to these crises. Mm. Matt, Matt, am I right in thinking that those buildings initially would have been put up by a lot of dedicated volunteers, you know, your, your classic working bee, that kind of thing, and you're now in a position where to get those buildings um, repaired or, or extended, you, you don't have that kind of community to draw on? It's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. So you've got multi-million dollar complexes that have just been built. You have things that were built in the 50s, probably not expected to stay together this long, and you've got the, the little bits in between where communities have piecemealed together existing uh buildings or structures they've inherited and tried to add on to those over the years. So it's a real mixed bag of what we're dealing with. But you're right, it's largely volunteers who are being left to deal with this problem. And you don't have the kind of numbers that you once would have, would that be right? No, our, our numbers grow stronger and stronger every year, oh, really? uh, luckily. Yeah, yeah so we, we've kind of bucked that trend on volunteering. It's a great organisation to belong to, but funding is not as accessible as it was in the mm. 80s and 90s. Uh, mm. That's one of the biggest issues. And I think it's, again, because we've been here for over 100 years and, and we've got that tragedy of the commons where everyone right. uses us and expects us to be there, but yeah. no one is responsible for it's us. That's a very good mm. point, actually, Matt, yeah. because you, you, just ex- you just assume that every summer, the life-saving uh, community, they're going to be out there looking after us. No one thinks, hang on, how do they get there? How are they funded? Hmm. And, and, and that's why we've really been ringing that alarm bell the last four years saying this is critical. A lot of the revenue that we rely on to put the base for the minimum viable product service out there is hugely volatile. And if you think about your favourite beaches, if you turned up there on any day a lifeguard wasn't there, you would be enraged that the lifeguards weren't there. But there's that <laughs> cognitive dissonance that we are there as a gift to the public essentially that we're funded for. And who's responsible for making sure that service is there? Well, question mark. And there is a, you know, there is that bigger strategic question, Matt, that I'm sure you're asking. Um, and and I know this because my father's been a life member of um, Coast Guard for for right. decades. And same issue, it's all voluntary. Um, and uh, so, you know, how do, do we need a sort of a grown up conversation to say we've got to find a completely different funding model? Um, firstly, for your operational service, and also secondly for the repairs, because I understand you you can't get a lot from from insurance from all the damage. So then I was wondering about, well, we do have the relief funds um, and whether you guys are, are have any access to that, um, the uh, cyclone relief I'll, fund. I'll eat, I'll eat that elephant one bite at a time. I think <laughs> yeah, sorry. Volunteering. <laughs> I love three questions at once. It's great. Uh, in terms of volunteering, you're right. The volunteers should be left to do what they signed up to, which is to provide the service. And that's brilliant. We've got... Yeah. 86,000 hours of volunteers wanting to be on the beach to keep people safe. Behind that is the countless hours where they're trying to find the funding or the resource just to provide their service. Mm. To me, that's illogical. So there's that issue, first of all. 
the second part is the insurance response to it. And yes, that, that has been challenging. And again, uh, if these things aren't insured, why are they being built there? And what's our long-term policy for dealing with these coastal assets? And in all my bravado to answer all three, I've actually forgotten that third part. Sorry if <laughs> no, that's all right. And what about Auckland Council? Have they been any help here? Yeah, look, Auckland Council is a great partner, but I don't think they're expecting this bill either. And that, that's actually a good segue into it. It was Cyclone Gabriel Relief Fund. And yes. the Cyclone yeah. Gabriel Relief Fund has been intended to provide short-term relief. And they've given this nice answer. They want to give communities a lot of time to think about the answers. What about those communities that know exactly what they needed yesterday and they needed to have going. that solution <laughs> yesterday? Mm. How do you cover both off? Because we don't actually have the luxury of time. And yes, there will be communities that have an opportunity to build back better and to think about that. And Surf Lifesaving will definitely take that option where it's available to us. But I look at Bethel's Beach and Mangafai Heads, and we are already past the time we should have been having solutions Gosh. in place. And we need to get started. Well, keep in touch, Matt, because, uh, yeah, you can't not have um, surf lifesavers this summer, can you? Uh, Kia ora, thank you for your time. That's Matt Williams there, uh, who is the Surf Lifesaving Northern Regional Chief Executive. Meanwhile, uh, that panel poll, gosh, uh, it's just, it's huge, huge response to this. Uh, a snap panel poll today. Do you support genetic engineering slash modification in New Zealand? Yes, no, unsure. Why, why not? Text me a 2101 email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Wallace, no. We have a beautiful environment and plant species to protect. Opening the floodgates would be very detrimental. Uh, Reese says, yes, 100%. Let's leverage science and tech to improve outcomes instead of being yoked by rigid spiritual beliefs. So, yeah, a big response to that panel poll. So stay listening and you will find out uh, around about 4.40, the results of that poll. Time for I've Been Thinking. Leonie Freeman, what's your IBT? This Monday afternoon. Yeah, well, next Friday on the 23rd is our big Property Council uh, National Property Awards at Spark Arena. So this is the sort Spark of... Spark Arena? Yes, 1,500 people. Spark Arena. It's the biggest gala dinner I in the country. I thought there was a downturn. <laughs> well, there's certainly some challenges, but this is sort of like the night to celebrate um, a lot of the projects. And uh, we get quite excited about it. So there's like 97 submissions across a whole raft of categories. So this is things like hospitals, schools, hospitals. Right. Um, hotels, uh, retail, affordable housing, um, and industrial. And then on top of that, there is the Supreme Award. So um, like most people, I'm sure they see a new school or a new library and they walk past and don't think about it. But um, there's so much work that goes into these projects. So we, we sort of celebrate the teams in behind that because it has such a massive impact on our communities. Um, and just as an example, you know, we also have a Supreme Award. So last year's Supreme Award was um, the Auckland City Mission Home Ground Project ah, right. in Hobson, um, Hobson Street. So, you know, um, it just shows you what you can do when you marry, you know, what something an organisation like the City Mission wants with some great expertise from the property sector and, I should say, 10 years of hard work to get that project. I walk past there every day yeah. and I'm just so intrigued by that building. That is amazing. Uh, it's quite something. Yeah, Simon and, Wilson's done a book about it. Yeah. Just come out, which yeah. I think would be really weird. If you haven't talked to him, Wallace, yeah. come on. It's on tomorrow. <laughs> oh, right, there you go. Yeah, no, Goodness. talk to him because the story behind that, um, and if you ever get a chance to talk to the city missioner, it's it's uh, it's a fantastic project. So anyway, we're really excited because this is uh, Friday Friday week is our big awards and um, another 97 projects um, are up for, um, for, for awards. So this is our big night for the property industry.
Any f- uh, yep, very good. Thank you, Leonie. All right, uh, David Slack, I've been thinking. I just want to revisit the topic we had last time I was here. We had one of your listeners who was saying that he was coming over here, and that was on the heels of having had a previous discussion, possibly with Leonie, I can't recall, That's right. about the change in the um, relationship with Australia where they'd stopped treating us like the, uh, the, the cousin that you, you beat up and everybody was happy about that for about three seconds and then they said, oh no, that means it's, it's just going to be um, so good over there, this is going to empty out and the, the joint's going to be empty. Um, well, uh, I, I just, and, and we talked about one of the various reasons why you should be over there, but one that we didn't get to and I had in my mind when we were talking about it was the top-up that your employer puts in your super. Now, that started in um, uh, 90, uh, about 1992 at, uh, two, <laughs> two, I've forgotten my numbers here, um, Suffice to say say it's it's currently 10.5 and it's rising to 12. I just couldn't remember what Keating set it up at at the start. But the thing is, I think it was two, then it was four. And and, the point I'm trying to make is that um, we also followed a decade later with KiwiSaver. For a while we were looking like the same thing. But then you had a change of government and the national government decided that it should be left to people to their own devices. And they emptied that out to a sort of a husk of what it was. And I think it's a real shame. And there is a recovery story here of uh, Muldoon t- tanking the super scheme in the 70s, this and the um, uh, cancellation of the money going into the Cullen Fund, which would have seen a, a, it being worth another 30, another $23 billion, um, on what it currently is, which I, I might add is about $62 billion right now. So that's really meaningful. Anytime you plan for the future, things get better. And we have this mm. really bad habit of deciding, no, no, we won't bother about it in this respect or in this other respect. And so we've ended up with the situation where, and we're going to be touching this on this in in, um, another topic, I'm sure, the habit everybody has of using their house as their superannuation. It's a dumb idea and it feeds into a Ponzi scheme of property market. For a whole lot of reasons, I really encourage voting for anybody who has a long-term approach to superannuation. Very good. Uh, Leonie Freeman, David Slack this afternoon on the panel with us. Keep uh, that feedback coming. Uh, Do you support genetic engineering modification in this country? Oh, te Yes or no or unsure? Text me 2101. Email the panel at rnz.co.nz.